You're listening to Global Conversations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Global Conversations podcast. Before we get started, I just want to remind listeners that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, follow us on Twitter at G underscore conversations, and on Instagram at monkgc. You can also visit our website at www.monkgc.com, where you can find lots of awesome content created by the students at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Today, I am interviewing Dr. Jin Suk Kim. Dr. Kim earned her PhD in media studies from the Department of Radio, Television, Film at the University of Texas, Austin in 2019. She is now a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Advanced Research in Global Communication at the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. Her research interests include digital media, online hate culture, and social and political activism in the context of contemporary South Korea. She is currently working on her first book project, tentatively titled Sticky Activism, Online Misogyny, and Feminist Anti-Hate Activism in South Korea. So Dr. Kim, I just wanted to say welcome and thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, um, hi, I'm Ella and um, thank you for having me today. Absolutely. So um, as, I, as I was telling you before we started recording, I, I first heard you speak at um, a talk that you gave earlier this semester and I was just blown away by your work. And so I'm so excited to talk to you. So um, yeah, we can just jump into the first question. So the first thing I, I wanted to ask you was, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your work on South Korean feminist activism, whether it's mother tags or sticky activism, or even just more generally, could you explain methods of feminist communication and activism that you find particularly interesting? Yeah, um, thank you for the question. So as you um, just introduced, my uh, research interests are in the interrelated phenomena of hate culture and social political activism facilitated by uh, digital media. So I'm interested in the ways in which older forms of like misogyny, racism, and xenophobia have been like newly articulated and practiced and facilitated through the affordance of digital media. So for example, I wrote a um, book chapter uh, about um, uh, online hate discourse against women in South Korea uh, uh, in the, the community called Ilbe, which is a notorious far-right online community uh, compared to 4chan in the United States. Um, so I'm interested in um, online hate culture, but uh, while I document this far- powerful uh, force uh, by digital hate culture, I also uh, take into account the potential of um, progressive social movement, particularly feminist activism, to contest and challenge this culture. So as you mentioned, my article in Feminist Media Studies um, looks at activism associated with the hashtag I am a feminist. So in this activism, this hashtag activism is a key moment uh, in the resurgence of feminism in in South Korea in opposition to anti-feminist sentiment uh, with the collective declaration of feminist identities on Twitter. So um, openly identifying as a feminist has until recently been stigmatized and even like considered taboo in South Korean society. So this hashtag I am a feminist represent the first public and collective cry of those who identify as uh, feminists. So I use the term mother tag uh, for this hashtag movement because I wanted to highlight how this hashtag served to articulate uh, various gender issues and provided um, inclusive framework for feminist uh, activists. 
And, um, and for the sticky note activism you mentioned, I look at the 2016 Gangnam Station murder case as a key moment, key moment in terms of raising women's consciousness around gender, misogyny, and feminism in South Korean society. So this paper, uh, I examined the convergence of online and offline political action uh, in the form of sticky note activism, uh, which involved the posting of handwritten sticky notes in public spaces and the dissemination of images of them through digital media. So maybe I can explain uh, further about this case as well, right? So in this in incident, a uh, man stepped to death a young woman in her 20s whom he had never met before, but he allegedly committed a crime because he felt that women had ignored him. So, but then initially police and mainstream media framed this incident as motiveless random killing rather than a misogyny crime. So in responding to this uh, kind of uh, media reports, a lot of people um, left thousands of posting notes at the memorial site at Gangnam Station, subway, Gangnam um, subway station. So I look at um, this uh, sticky note activism and I foregrounded um, sticky notes as an important uh, alternative feminist media. Uh, and I discussed how feminist activists chose and combined an old and new media for their activism across the online and offline spaces. Um, so that was uh, the case study that I looked at, I talk about in my talk. So, and then also, as you mentioned, currently I'm looking I'm working on my first book project uh, titled Sticky Activism, Online Misogyny and Feminist Anti-Hate Activism in South Korea. So which reveals the complexity of digital hate culture and social and political activism in South Korea. Yeah, that's also, that's so interesting. I, I love how your scholarship and what you're talking about is blending multiple things because in the, a lot of the stuff that I've read about online use and when it comes to feminism, it's usually only that it's bad for women or only that it's good for women, but we see that it, it can be both and in dialogue with each other. And then, yeah, I just think um, that's so interesting. Um, so the, sec the second question I had for you was, um, I'm, I'm quite moved by how this, this feminist activist movement in, in South Korea has inspired young South Koreans to attend uh, academic institutions to study women's studies. Um, so could you talk specifically about this a little bit more, or could you generally talk about what it was like interviewing young women and, um, and uh, yeah, young people in, in your work? Yeah, so I mentioned, I think in my presentation, uh, right, uh, that one of my interviewees uh, mentioned, um, said that the Gangnam Station murder case that, that I just mentioned uh, literally changed her life. So although she had not been very interested in gender issues in the past, but she was really inspired by her participation in the activism relating to Gangnam uh, murder case. So this, she decided that she wanted to attend graduate school in order to pursue a major uh, in women's study. And actually, I studied women's, study, women's studies for my master's degree from 2016 to 2010 at Hawaii Women's University in South Korea, which actually started the first women's studies program and has still the biggest women's studies program in South Korea. So, you know, it, I think it's interesting because compared to the times when I was studying women's studies, I heard that these days there have been like growing interest and more and more applications for the women's studies program. 
Uh, I think it's remarkable like change. Uh, and I think it really shows and reflects the increasing public interest in gender issues and feminism in Korean society. As I just mentioned, the case of my one of my interviews, right? So many of my interviewees for my dissertation and book project were mainly young women in their 20s and 30s at that time. So in South Korea, um, since the 1980s, women's organizations began to um, call for legislation and policies uh, relating to the issues, gender issues, such as like equal employment or sexual domestic violence and prostitution. And as a result, we see that a lot of um, these issues have been mainstreamed and institutionalized in the 2000s. For example, there was the establishment of the Ministry of Gender Equality in 2001. So we can assume that these young women who were born, mostly born in 80s and 90s, they were um, growing up in a relatively less patriarchal environment than that experienced by the earlier generation, right? But so I think that many of them believe that gender equality had been already achieved. They had equal access to education and like you know, job market and everything, but they didn't really think about the like more like structural uh, and cultural aspect of sexism and gender discrimination. So, I mean, they literally talked to me that, you know, they believe that if they did their best, they had as much chance of professional success as men. But um, these young men, I think, uh, began to think about the structural issues uh, from, from the um, uh, online communities. And, on the front, and they also experienced um, the um, prevalent uh, online misogyny culture from the uh, digital uh, media environments. That's why they began to uh, gradually interest in the gender issues and feminist issues. So I think, yeah, I think um, it is it's really interesting how this uh, feminist activism is influencing these uh, young women in their twenties and thirties, uh, like one of my interviewees, right? Yeah, I think I think that's so interesting as well. I think I'm a bit partial because um, during my undergrad, I, I did women's studies and gender studies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about the ways that activism can affect educational institutions and educational institutions can also affect activist movements. I think that um, synergy or that relationship is, is so important and so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that that's great. OK, next question. Um, I'd like to turn to maybe some global or international dimensions of this conversation. So what do you think are maybe some aspects at play when people compare um, South Korean feminist activism to feminist movements, uh, perhaps in the US or Canada or the UK or the rest of Europe? Um, Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there are um, a lot of like similarities and interconnections between South Korean digital feminist activism and activism in other countries, um, including US and Canada, as you just mentioned. For example, I think hashtag activism is one example showing how feminist activists have used social media platforms like Twitter and its hashtag function to amplify uh, voices of women and other historically marginalized groups, right? So we can think, I mean, I also mentioned in my paper that, you know, when I talk about I'm a feminist hashtag activism, there were similar hashtag activism in the US, like yes, all women and in the UK, um, everyday sexism, sexism hashtag movement 
which uh, aim to share women's everyday experiences of sexual harassment and um, gender violence, I think. And also I think in Canada, we can uh, find a similar um, hashtag movement like uh, MINEXT or MMIW, uh, which uh, specifically um, reveals to uh, the voices of like missing and murdered indigenous women in Canada. So I think, uh, and obviously we can think of recent Me Too movement, right? So this, we can think of how Eastern media have uh, facilitated the global circulation of transnational feminist ideas, activism, like the Me Too case. So I think it's really um, necessary to consider the relationship of uh, Korean feminist activism to uh, transnational feminist activism in terms of interconnections and similarities. But I think there are um, important differences as well, especially in terms of um, different social and political environment. So as I mentioned, although um, feminists in South Korea have been fighting the country's sexist and misogynistic culture since the 1980s, feminism has not been popularized and has not reached um, and or resonated with the broader public. So feminists have been mostly confined to uh, largely to small groups of scholars and full-time activists. Uh, so that's why I think the hashtag activism, I'm a feminist was really important to, um, to broaden its reach uh, to the public. And I, another difference I think I can think of is that um, gender and feminist representation in popular media culture. So for example, when you talk about popular feminism, it means that feminism becomes highly visible and trendy, even trendy in popular media culture. So for example, in the United States in 2004, when, when like Beyonce performed in the, in the, in front of the feminist side, right? That is one example of um, popular feminism. And then we can also think of other celebrities who identify themselves as feminists. Um, and I also, there are a lot of different examples of uh, popular feminism, including feminist advertising or feminist themed products and shows and films. So I think feminist scholars uh, like um, Sarah Bonner-Weiser have pointed out how feminism in Western countries becomes a sort of product. And she also criticized the limitations of popular versions of feminism that popular feminism is not really uh, dealing with sexist and patriarchal structure, uh, rather reinforce the neoliberal individual approach and solution to um, these issues. But on the contrary, contrary in South Korea, I don't think it's the case. So there are only few celebrities or politicians, even politicians who openly say that they are feminists and they are interested in feminist and gender issues. And I see that, uh, I think that feminists and gender issues are not easily found or highly visible in mainstream media culture. So I think feminist strategies and responses are very different uh, within this um, conservative social and political backgrounds. So uh, for example, um, um, in 2016, a year before the Me Too movement gained broad attention in the United States, there was a series of hashtag movement in South Korea um, under which women spoke out against misogynistic rape culture pervasive in Korean society. So for example, there was hashtag sexual violence in the film industry, 
But in this hashtag uh, revelation, it was rare for victims of sexual violence to reveal their identities. And their victims' identities uh, have been mostly uh, protected or uh, anonymized. So I think that that's one of the key differences between Korean hashtag movement and the MeToo movement in the United States, right? Um, sparked, sparked by Weinstein scandal, where a lot of female actors and celebrities uh, openly participate in hashtag activism, share their stories. So I think um, that's one of the key differences between uh, Korean society and um, digital feminist activism in Western societies. So I think that victims, for example, victims in South Korea face uh, um, a lot of risk uh, in relation to um, conservative and repressive social context, including victim blaming discourse and doxing and stigmatization. Wow, yeah, that's so that's so interesting. and. Um, I think it's important, as you're saying, to highlight the differences as well as the similarities. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so so my next question. Um, so I I was born in 1996, so I am millennial Gen Z, <laughs> you know, <laughs> straddling the two. But I have three younger sisters, and they are big on TikTok. They really love TikTok. Um, and you know, I I often have conversations with them where they where we talk about you know TikTok has become this avenue, this super dynamic and immediate uh, means by which young women are connecting with each other and young people are connecting with each other to talk about feminism and gender um, in this in this really like I said dynamic and vast and immediate way. That's really exciting, I think. Um, but if we think about different platforms, you know, I think different generations use different platforms to receive information about feminism and perhaps also respond. So I was wondering if you could speak to that generational aspect at all, and perhaps also diasporic or geographic aspects as well, right? So somebody who might be South Korean, but might not be in South Korea, um, but engaging with that content online, what would that look like? Um, I don't know if you have any, yeah, have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think generation is one important factor to understand the, the resurgence of feminist activism in South Korea, right? So I think a lot of Korean media and feminist scholars have um, discussed the digital nature of current feminism reboot. Uh, so many of the scholars have characterized uh, these new feminists as digital natives who were born and brought up within the digital environment after the popularization of computer and internet in South Korea. And they were naturally engaging with different digital technologies and platforms. So a lot of like there were teenage girls and young women in their twenties uh, and thirties uh, who identify themselves as feminists. And they were, I think they are actively utilizing digital media platforms and participating in digital feminist activism. So for example, I'm actually not really active on TikTok. <laughs> so I, I can, I mean, I'm not, I, maybe that's the, that uh, shows I'm not a millennial <laughs> generation. But I, um, if, if I can talk about Twitter, uh, for example, uh, in 2018, the most tweeted word on Twitter uh, was school me too because the global MeToo movement inspired a flood of accusations and testimonies by teenage students speaking out against sexual harassment in their schools. So I think that shows that how like teenagers uh, used uh, Twitter as a platform to talk about their own experiences. And then, you know, one of the most tweeted word was actually school MeToo in South Korea. Um, so, 
And I also think, I mean, as I research and write um, contemporary digital feminist activism and situated within the history of feminist movement in South Korea, I think, I mean, it really made me uh, think about, about my positionality as a feminist scholar and activist. As I mentioned, I was a um, master's student in women's studies um, and I received my degree in 2010. But um, I didn't, I was, I mean, my generation is different from these like newly recently identified and digital feminist activists. But also, I, I mean, I'm different from the older generation in 1990s and 2000s who were mostly at that time, uh, there were feminist um, based, campus-based campus, camp, campus based, uh, feminist movement. So I think that I have like in between position between, um, you know, older generations and younger generation. So I really try to uh, listen to and try to understand both of their perspective. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes there is assumption that these like digital feminists are really new and different from older generations. So I have uh, tried to uh, understand, critically understand the newness of these digital feminists um, activists. And actually many of these, um, these newly emerged feminists have been in fact collaborating with the older feminist activists and also part on, like, and make solidarity with um, existing feminist organizations in efforts to speak out against and solve the problem of misogyny. But at time, I think, however, um, interviewees who identify, who identify themselves as new feminists spoke about uh, the gaps between their own viewpoints, viewpoints and those of existing women's organization due to generation and or like political uh, differences. So I think there are a lot of conversations in South Korea uh, about generational aspects of this, uh, this feminist activism. I mean, I think it's necessary uh, to think about um, their generational um, differences, differences but I also think that, I mean, it can have some kind of limitations and risks of um, ignoring differences and disputes among uh, different feminist activists, within, even within the digital feminist activists. Or sometimes I think that popular commentators overemphasize their generational differences and conflict. So yeah, although I think the generation is an important factor, but um, you know, an approach that privileged generational differences over other differences is problematic, I think. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think I think sometimes watching the ways that um, maybe mainstream media looks at and critiques younger feminists is, um, is at times unfair because you're not addressing their arguments. Um, the media might be just addressing their age or, you know, just their perspective. Um, Right. which is discounting yeah i mean sometimes they are really you know describing this kind of like feminist um controversies among feminists um different feminists different generation of feminists as something mm -hmm. like cat fight you know like conflict between two women so i think it's um ignoring um, the diverse politics within feminist groups mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and also i think most social movements have divisions within it's about creating a sense of solidarity among among many so yeah that's so interesting that the gendered analysis of that yes mm -hmm. um absolutely so i have one final question for you um 
So what do you think is the place of personal storytelling as far as uh, feminist activism goes in, in South Korea? Yeah, I mean, in my previous work, both on like, uh, I'm a feminist hashtag activism and sticky note activism, I really highlighted the importance of personal storytelling in feminist activism. So I think that sharing personal stories is one of the most um, easiest and accessible form of contemporary activism. And I think it's particularly important for feminist activism. So um, given the ethos, like the personal is political, right? Uh, which is the one of the most important um, slogan in feminist movements. And I think that the um, articulation of personal stories as collective voice was particularly uh, well facilitated by social networking sites such as Facebook and Twitter. So for example, in the hashtag, I am a feminist, many of the participants share their own definitions of feminisms and stories and reasons why they are feminists. So I think as a result, I think I am a feminist expanded the boundaries of feminism in South Korea. And similarly, uh, many of my interviewees in the um, Gangnam Station murder case highlighted how they use post-it notes as a means to express personal opinions, messages, and sentiments, and the solidarity with um, with um, these women and other victims of gender-based violence. So I think um, like social media postings or hashtag sticky notes provided these participants a uh, very candid uh, but uh, spontane spontaneous way of expressing personal stories. And these personal stories were um, articulated as a women's shared experience of violence and created a sense of solidarity among women uh, through the digital media. So I think that, I mean, I argued in my paper that sticky notes along with the hashtag played a crucial role uh, in the realization uh, that personal hashtag is political. That, um, that's all so wonderful. And uh, I definitely learned a lot through asking you all these different questions. And um, yeah, I'm really appreciative of you taking the time. So thank you so much uh, for coming and talking uh, on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me to this platform and it was really nice talking to you. Thank you.